This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, my name is Matt Cundell, and this portion of the Moranolytics podcast is powered by my company, MattCundellVoice.com. If you need a voice for your company videos, narration, e-learning, Maybe it's your radio or TV ad, or even your phone system. Consider using my voice to tell your story. I'm not only a sponsor of this podcast, I'm also a regular listener, wrestling fan, and longtime supporter of the Buffalo Bills. For more, check out mattcundlevoice.com or click on the link in the show notes. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, podcast fans, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 107 of the Moranalytics podcast. Today's April 2nd, 2019. Thank you, as always, for listening and for downloading. If you have not yet subscribed, please go ahead and do so. Also, take a second to rate and review. It really helps out this podcast tremendously. We also have our brand new YouTube page up. Just go there, type in Moranalytics Podcast. You can subscribe there, too. We got highlight clips from current and past episodes and guests. Got some original audio content coming soon. And down the road, some videos when I eventually get the time and the energy to learn how to use my stupid video gear and such. So, got that coming soon. Meanwhile, coming up on today's show, I got former Buffalo Bills Pro Bowl Center Eric Wood returning to the pod for a second time. Uh, We're going to talk about his new podcast, which he's done very, very well with early on. It's called What's Next with Eric Wood. It's a podcast, not just football talk, but conversation and transitioning into the next stage of life. It's entertaining and it's also educational. I think anyone can get something out of it, whether they're a sports fan or not. We're also going to talk about the Buffalo Bills and their revamped offensive line. I get Eric's takes on the new guys, especially the new center, Mitch Morse, who will hopefully do a much better job of replacing Eric in the middle of that line than the guys who tried last season not not so good on that offensive line last year, especially at the center position. We talk about that. I also get his thoughts on how Antonio Brown treated Buffalo. And while, yes, listen, man, I know that the narrative is played out and all that stuff. But when a true Buffalo guy like Eric has something to say about it, I'm absolutely ready to listen. going to give him the floor. It's good stuff. Also coming up on today's show, it's movie review time, y'all. I got... Sean Chandler from the very popular Sean Chandler talks about YouTube channel, giving his review of Dumbo. Of course, I'm talking about the new remake that's out in theaters now, not the original from like 77 years ago. Sean was on the show a few weeks ago, really enjoyed his content. He puts on his channel and we struck up a deal where 
from time to time, I'd play the audio version of a movie review and talk up his YouTube channel, which currently sits, by the way, at about 95,000 subscribers. He's doing really well. I'll have both those segments in just a few. Before that, though, in fact, you know what? Right now, I got my man, recurring segment co-host Aaron Quinn with me. Aaron, of course, is with CoverOne.net. In my mind, the best analytical film, breaking down player and prospect profile, anything you want to call it. Buffalo Bills website on the internet. What's going on, my man? How you doing? Man, I'm living the dream. We we live for this time of year, you know? Yeah, definitely. I love it. What do you got going on? Yeah, so a ton of stuff going on. All the regular content that yeah, anyone that follows Cover One would expect to find. We're rocking on the Cover One Buffalo podcast, so you can catch us there. Uh, but one really big thing that I want to just kind of plug real quick is my man Jordan Reed, one of our scouts that we got really lucky to get on our team this year. Uh, he's primarily a Vikings fan, but he's a huge just scout, grind, film grinding guy, just like Eric, our original you know leader is. And uh, Jordan's been fantastic, and he's done a draft guide this. This is his second year doing the draft guide and it's launching soon right now it's available for pre-order ten dollars gets you this draft guide he's done over 200 prospects full analysis of each prospect full pages i got i did his graphics uh for the cover page and stuff so he sent me a sample of it and i was expecting to see just like a little tidbit on each guy he has full pages full wow. page reports on these guys 200 prospects i don't even know how he has time to do this but he's putting it out it's $10. You get this draft guide. I've paid more for that for less draft guides uh, from the newsstand. So it's a PDF file. The day it releases, you'll get the PDF. Really cool thing about it. Jordan's giving all the proceeds to a, uh, I forget the name of the charity off the top of my head, but it's a, a, a hunger prevention charity in Raleigh, North Carolina. So all the proceeds are going to charity. He's such a good dude. Get on it. If you if you care about the draft and care about staying up to date with this stuff, you can't be his draft guide uh, and the $10 goes to charity. So it's a win-win for everybody. So something you're in interested in go over to the cover one at cover uh, at cover underscore one underscore twitter account all the information's right there and you can click the link so definitely check it out that's really great I, you know i'm not just blowing smoke because i got you on with me right now but that's my favorite thing about cover one that draft guy decided i know that's something separate but just generally speaking man you guys really do grind it out you hear that word grind all the time it sounds like such a buffalo term blue collar grind etc cetera, etc cetera, but you guys really do man you grind out some really really good content on there there's a lot of guys that are there behind the scenes even that their names aren't on articles that he's just got a really good group of guys that puts in a lot of work and uh, i'm just happy to be a small part of, of this thing because i think it's something really cool and uh I'm really happy to work with everybody i'll tell you what you know something else that's cool man april we're in april now early april <sighs> i think april is an incredibly underrated month for sports all right you got the first full week of baseball, I know opening week was last week, but whatever. That's just a couple of days. This is the first full week of baseball. You got the Final Four. You have the Masters. I love the Masters. You got both the NBA and the NHL playoffs. They'll be well underway this month. If you're a wrestling fan, you got WrestleMania coming this weekend. And of course, the big things, the NFL. You got the schedule release, which usually comes around April 20th, somewhere right around that time. And of course, the biggest thing, the NFL draft. You know, to quote what the young people out there, the hip people are saying, dude, April's lit, man. It's lit. Yeah. 
It is late. And uh, OTAs, like there's already uh, for anyone with a new yeah. head coach, they're starting to report this week, which is just it's awesome how quick football comes back around. But no, you're right, man. Uh, I don't watch a ton of baseball, but I see all the excitement online of, of that season getting started. Really, for me, when I was a baseball fan, I was only really excited in April and then again in the fall. Right. I'd catch a few games in the summer, but you, you get really excited at the start of it. Uh, I don't watch very much college basketball, and I know that you're not a huge fan of the tournament, but I still participate in the brackets and do the tournament stuff, and I do watch it. It's fun. And even being a big fan of the NBA, I don't really get started watching the NBA until April anymore. I just don't have the time to do it all winter long. Yeah. The really good games are on super late, right? Like all the West Coast games are on too late for my blood. So I get watching now because now positioning matters. So it's a good month. And as much as I hate the WWE right now and Vince McMahon, I'm probably going to get the WWE network and watch WrestleMania because I haven't <laughs> missed one. I, I can't remember the last time I missed a WrestleMania. So I'll slug through watching it because uh, you, you got to watch it, right? And any wrestling fans got to tune in. Yeah, I mean... I don't like what they've done with WrestleMania this year, but at the end of the day, I'm obviously going to watch it. I'm really, gonna, I hope it, they yeah. get it right next year because it is in Tampa. That's less than an hour from me. And I'm all over that. I'm in for that for sure. Oh yeah. I've, I'm kind of jealous that you're going. It's still as much as I, I, I'll say it all the time. I dislike WWE as a whole. I would love to go to a WrestleMania. That's just gotta be the coolest. Just not even just the WWE side, just all the wrestling of the world in one city you just all the fans all the the spectacle that goes along with it i'd love to be a part of that yeah i've done it man it's really cool you know speaking of cool let's segue into the bills here by all accounts and reviews the buffalo bills have had a very good offseason now of course we learned that doesn't automatically mean shit because rex ryan a couple years ago you know infamously said that the buffalo bills won the offseason like i said it didn't end up meaning a thing when the real games yeah. mattered but Let's face it, man. The Bills did get an anchor center. They got four other offensive linemen, any of whom could be in the mix to start or be that first guy off the bench. They got two wide receivers where you can make a legitimate argument that they may be better than anything that's on the current roster. Ditto for tight end. They swapped out Chris Irie for Frank Gore at running back. Many people think that's an upgrade. And even if just one out of Kevin Johnson or EJ Gain works out, the cornerback depth, that's much improved over last year when you had guys like Lafayette Pitts and such being in those nickel and dime packages from last year. I guess my question for you that I'm, what I'm getting at is how much pressure do you think is on Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean right now? Last year kind of felt like it was a free pass. It didn't matter where they finished in the standings because they were coming off a playoff year that no one expected to happen. But now it's year three. These two are together, or at least McDermott's year three, and Bean's going into his second full season with the bills here. What, what are your expectations right now? How much pressure do you think these guys are feeling? Or maybe not how much pressure are they feeling, but how much pressure do you think there is for these guys to get, I would say at a minimum 500 or above at worst. Yeah. So I don't know what the bar is that is going to be set on them, but I do think that improvement has to happen. And whether that is a result of wins or just improvement on the field, because so 
many things have to, so many variables go into winning football games. And I don't know that this team is so improved that they're going to go into a lot of games as the favorite to win the football game. I think we're going to see results of more wins this year than last year, just from having more depth across the board and and a little bit better solidified starters across the board. Uh, But anything can really change that, you know, God forbid a guy like Mitch Morris that you bring in to to play a significant role goes down at some point or Josh Allen gets hurt again, obviously. So I don't know that it'll be a uh, particular win amount that's going to really, they're going to be judged on. I think it's going to be overall improvement of the team and trajectory of the team and how they feel. But I've always felt that when Brandon Bean got here, that really started the clock for McDermott. I think McDermott got a first six month pass for free. But once Brandon Bean got here and obviously the first offseason wasn't his, we're really into only going into the second. This is his second off season as a GM. So I think that this for McDermott was a four year kind of window and for Bean was a three year window. And I think that they're going to get a full 2019 into 2020 before the Pagoulas really judge them. And I've said that all along. I think halfway through the 2020 season, we're going to know where this team stands in the future going forward, if they're going to roll, continue to roll with Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. So I think there is some more pressure. I think you're totally right. You nailed it that uh, from the fans perspective, at least getting in the playoffs, definitely took off that pressure and it eased it for the Bagulas. But I, I do think that when they came in and that you heard all about it, the notebooks, the meticulous planning, all that stuff, I think that they laid it out in front of the Bagulas and said, look, this cap is a mess. This is a terrible situation you guys have gotten yourselves into. The draft pixie that you pick don't fit. This isn't going to be right. This is going to be something that's going to take a little, little bit of time. It's going to be a little painful. We saw the results of that last year, the dead cap. But once we get that right, we'll be able to do a lot of things this year. All the amount of free agents that they brought in, the quality free agents, the 10 draft picks that they – who knows what they'll do with those. They could turn those into six, seven draft picks and move all around the board. They have a lot of flexibility. I think that they're going to give them a full another year. It would be a, a shame in my opinion – uh, regardless of the results this year, if they didn't give Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott the ability to reap the w- rewards of the 2020 cap and draft picks that they've put this team in a position to have. Oh yeah, I completely agree with you. I think it would take an absolute catastrophe on and yeah. maybe even off the field this year to see either of those guys go after year three. But I do yeah. feel like, you know, maybe a six and another six and 10 season for an example, firing a significant injury that like if Josh Allen goes down, I think everyone would expect a six and 10 season. But sure. barring a major injury like that, I think like another six and 10 season would be incredibly disappointing. And while I don't think it would get either guy fired, I think it would definitely put them on the hot seat and kind of, it would kind of turn the tide of how the, I think the fans feel good about this, this staff right now and, and this organization, as opposed to say the Sabres where you listen, you don't have to be a huge Sabres fan to know what's going on with the Buffalo Sabres. Wait, Sabres aren't good. No, they're not very good, dude. They're not very good. And if you go on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or you talk to your grandmother for two minutes, she'll be the first to tell you. It's not even that they're not good. It's that the organization has fallen out of favor with the fans in such a big way. And we'll talk about this more in a little bit when it comes to the Sabres. But point being is that the fans and the media, I think, have completely turned on Phil Housley 100%. And they're not maybe quite there yet with Jason Botterill, but... It, it, they're going to get there soon if things don't change. I feel like with the Bills, short of, like I said, an absolute catastrophe, I think Bean and McDermott have built up enough credibility amongst this base that I don't think they're necessarily going to turn. But I think that does put them on the hot seat for sure. 
I think it'll definitely put him on the hot seat. I think six and ten, you'll start to get probably splintered fan base. I think the media on is in a weird position where they already kind of are against McDermott because he gives you a lot of the coach speak and a lot of the process and culture stuff that they just hate to hear about. And our Buffalo, our local media is very jaded to that stuff because they've heard it before, but the results weren't there. So I think that those guys are waiting to pounce on even a five hundred season won't be success. I've already heard rumblings of like this is, has to be a playoff team. I don't agree with all that, but I agree with you. If, if they are sitting at six and ten, that's a failure in my opinion. I do expect them. I know it's a weird expectation to have in a positive trajectory, but to be in the hunt, uh, and that's kind of where we've been for twenty years. But I expect to get back to that. You know that five hundred. You know maybe a nine if they're lucky and the ball bounces a couple away ten win type team. But a team that's competing each game last season, we saw them kind of just get blown out at times and just not be competitive. I think as long as they're continuing on the trajectory of being competitive in all their games and really putting out a good football product, those guys are securing their jobs. But if they don't, that the seat's definitely going to get hot. Got one more topic here, and then I want to get to the Eric Wood interview. Yeah, they've addressed a lot of positions through free agency and the, and the team looks a lot different right now, I would say. And I'm sure it's. You know, I'm not uncovering any stone here, but defensive tackle is definitely probably the the position that they go into the draft where you're thinking in your mind, all right, well, let's see. We've addressed this. We've addressed that. We already have this here. They're kind of thin at defensive tackle. And Ed Oliver is is a guy who I think he's been in the mix since the start. But after free agency and the Bills not signing really anyone at defensive tackle, I mean, they did re-sign one of their own, but that was it. My point is this, Ed Oliver's Bills future with that ninth pick, I feel like it could be in doubt right now. I think there was a time early in the process, like maybe during the season last year, college football season, where everywhere I read, he was a top three pick, maybe a top five many months ago at worst. And then he kind of fell back into the middle of the first round. And then it probably happens because, you know, guys have good workouts and they rise up the board. So somebody's got to go down and he was kind of one of them, but now he's kind of rising back up these mock draft boards. And I don't know if they how much they mean or if they mean a freaking thing in the world. But what I'm getting at is he may not be there at nine. Do you like Oliver enough, if you're Brandon Bean right now, that you would at least consider moving up a spot or two from nine to get him? Or would you prefer if he went early enough in the draft that if you're the Bills, you stand pat and you take maybe Christian Wilkins with the ninth pick or move down a couple spots and get him or maybe move up from 40 for a guy like Jerry Tillery. What are you thinking right now when it comes to Ed Oliver? I think there's a decent chance he's still there in nine. I, but he's an interesting prospect because he's floating all over these mock drafts. I'm right. not sure. I, I do think the Lions are a team to watch with the interest, and they're right there before the Bills. So mm-hmm. if they want him bad enough, I, I see the logic you're saying of going up to get him. There's only two guys that I'm trading up for in this draft, and they're the top two guys. It's Bosa or Quinn and Williams, and I don't think that Bean's going to pay the price, or should he pay the price to go up and get him? If Williams was to start to slip, I would make sure I got in front of the Lions to get him. Oliver's not that guy for me, uh, so I don't know that I would do that move. Tillery is a guy that I would be all for on a trade-back scenario. I think Wilkins at nine's a little too high for my liking. I think maybe if you could trade back a little bit— and take a guy like that he fits that whole process mold probably better than any of them as far as what kind of guy he is i just don't know that his talent is a top 10 pick talent but then there's also a guy that they are uh, doing a private workout or having him in for a visit kalen saunders who you can get in a later round who i think would be a nice 
fit. But I, I agree with you. It's definitely probably that and defensive end and tight end are the three major. You got to walk away with players at that position. And uh, I think that they're really going to look to address defensive tackle. So if they can move around a little bit in the first round and, and get a good fit, I think they will. I just don't think I don't think it's going to be up for a defensive tackle. Would you agree that somewhere in that top 40, whether it's staying, staying at nine, staying at 40, moving down from nine, moving up from 40, do you feel like somewhere in those first 40 picks, they need to come away with a defensive tackle? Do you feel that way? No, because I, I would be totally happy if, say, they traded back for Hawkinson or Fan. You know what I mean? I think that they need to get a starter at either defensive end, defensive tackle, or tight end. If they walk away with a starting player, a high-caliber player at either of those positions, I'll be happy. Because whatever they don't get in those first 40 picks, that one of those needs is going to be a later pick anyway. So, if, if, you know, it's kind of a seesaw at that, at that point. I'm going to get to our interview and to our review, I'm going to play my interview with Eric Wood right now, followed immediately by Sean Chandler's movie review of Dumbo. Then you and I will pick things back up. We're going to do a quick Buffalo Bills four-round mock draft, and we're going to do it in real time with the computer at thedraftnetwork.com. It's going to simulate the other 31 teams. I did this last week by myself. Figured it would be more fun to do it with you. So we'll do that, and we'll also run down the Analytics podcast interest meter as well. But again, first, here's Eric Wood. And then Sean Chandler. All right, my guest, I get to call him a recurring guest now because this is his second time on. He's a former Pro Bowl center for the Buffalo Bills. An injury forced him into an early retirement, but his transition has swung well. He's done plenty of media work, and now he has his own podcast. We're going to talk about that in a few. He's doing very well. I'm talking about, of course, Eric Wood. How you doing, Eric? Great. Thanks for having me on again. Oh, the pleasure is definitely all mine. I've had a couple of your buddies on recently, Craig Urbick and then Will Wolford, who, man, he really likes you a lot. He had a lot of nice things to say about you, and uh, I had a chance to interview him. Yeah, I don't know what you put those guys up to, but Will talked about me a whole lot, and Craig mentioned me as his favorite teammate. I listened to both of those, and um, I, I I texted both of them afterwards, and I was blown away by the stuff they said. I'm becoming a big fan of your show, uh, and not just because it's a, a well-done podcast. Your guests seem to be very complimentary of me. So like I said, <laughs> I don't know that it's all organic. I think you're, you may may have been uh, pumping them up a little bit. <laughs> no, man. I It was organic, dude. <laughs> That's funny as hell, though. I had you on this podcast. It was all the way back on episode 47, which was like around late August of last year. It was before the regular season started. And obviously at that time, you were still trying to get used to being a former NFL player. Now, several months later, I got you on. So I want to ask you, how big of an adjustment was it for you last year making that transition from player to former player and going on and doing other things with your life? Did it get easier as the season went on or... Was it a was it a struggle all season? You know, it was just, it was just a big adjustment. I, I wouldn't say it was a huge struggle. You know, there was some anxiety from time to time about just kind of hanging out and sitting sitting around. But you know, we had a ton of fun too. You know, I, I had never really been able to travel and visit team, former teammates, buddies, watch them play. We went down to Disney World to watch Louisville play Alabama get smashed down there, but Alabama smashed almost everybody. But Clemson right. last year and. You know, we got to do a lot of cool things. I went down and visited Ryan Fitzpatrick and Garrison Sanborn down in Tampa Bay for a game. And, you know, just some really cool experiences. 
but it wasn't that fulfilling. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm a worker. So to me, although we had a ton of fun, I got to spend a ton of time with my family and I'll forever be grateful for that. I'm ready to get to work and, and get into something. I'm going to talk about your podcast because that is one thing that you're doing. I want to talk about that in a second. A few other things as well. Now that you've been out of the game, though, for a season, you did do some, by the way, I don't know if you remember this, but last year when you were on, I predicted that you were going to start getting into some media stuff. You're a good talker. Didn't know you were a good writer, though. You wrote a weekly column for The Athletic. You've done stuff with Cover One. Your podcast is a lot about transitioning. And as you transition away from football, when you do your writing or, or talk about other players and other teams, is it hard sometimes to be critical of other players because you played the game, okay? You walked in those shoes. You know the work. You know how hard it is. But then meanwhile, you got podcasters, writers, stiffs like me who are critical and I'm sure sometimes can be you know downright mean towards other players. I think the perspective that you offer is unique because there's very few players or guys out there, I should say, that have physically done what you do. But does that, because you've done that, does that make it harder for you to be extremely critical? I mean, let's take, and then I'll let you go on here. Let's take the Bills offensive line last year for an example. It was it was not good. And I'm being politically correct here, to be honest right now, because I got a former Bills Pro Bowl around with me. If I was talking to one of my buddies, my choice of words would probably be different when talking about the line last year. How hard is it sometimes for you to be able to be critical knowing that you did it and most people have not done it? You know, I think the hardest thing about being critical is getting, is that I personally know some of these guys, and I know how hard they work, and I know what they're all about, so it just makes it hard. And also, I, I would always joke with the athletic that they don't pay me enough not to be able to show my face in the locker room up in Buffalo anymore. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to get on there and trash guys. And I, where I wasn't necessarily trashing guys through my articles or in my media appearances, I, I didn't really do that kind of stuff in person either. I, I'm a glass half full type of guy. I heard a, a, a really good offensive line coach one time, Aaron Cromer, who I, I think is potentially the best in the business, say, look, I wouldn't have you around here if I thought you would try to mess up or weren't willing to put in the effort. So, so if you're getting beat, you know, we, we need to address something. So I try not to harp on guys too hard. It's easier when you don't know them. For instance, you know, I called the Iowa State Kansas State football game last year. Well, it's easier for me to critique some of those guys. I, 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 I didn't really know any of the players on either side, even their names prior to prepping for the game. So it was a lot easier to be critical of them than it was some of my former Bills teammates. But if I continue to, to stay in this media position, that's something I'm going to have to get more and more comfortable with. But I don't feel like you need to be uh, to be a successful media member. You have to take super hard takes and bash guys. You know, I think you can keep a fairly positive attitude and, and be a realistic, be a you know a, a true contributing member of the media. Yeah, I agree. And like I said, you do offer a, a different perspective than most because you played the game, and that does matter. You know, you're out there just like Tony Romo. He's done such a fantastic job. With CBS, he's played the game, you know, and you, and you could just hear it when he's predicting plays. I'm sure you've heard a couple of his games that he's called this year. Did you expect him to be as good as he was? Because he's probably regarded as the best sports an uh, football analyst in the business already after, what, only two couple of years, two years? Yeah, yeah. 
I don't know that I expected it, but but I'm very impressed. You know, he essentially hit a walk-off home run in the World Series when he did the AFC Championship game, which was probably the most entertaining game of the entire season, Chiefs and Patriots. And then, you know, there's a there's a bit of luck in it, just that they have to call the plays. But the amount of prep work he put in to be able to call all those offensive plays for the Patriots in succession when they're on that one drive, and he just was telling you what they were going to do and how they were going to do it, was essentially like him hitting a walk-off home run in the World Series heading into free agency or arbitration in baseball because he's a free agent right now in the broadcast world. I would assume he'll go back to CBS. You know, I think a couple of things that make him so great, and this is not something that I would have picked up on prior to studying analysts now like I do, just potentially trying to transition into that business. One, he's extremely comfortable, which you can be when you have a nice lucrative deal through CBS, and you can be comfortable. He's not trying to overly over impress the crowd. He doesn't say too much, which some, which some color guys will do. And then the other thing is he has Jim Nance and Jim Nance is excellent. And no offense to Joe Tessitore, but I feel like maybe Jim Nance would have made Jason Witten look better and maybe take less criticism. Um, had he been with him instead of Joe Tessitore, who's did a lot of college football, a lot of boxing, and then they had this three-man booth on Monday Night Football where Jason Witten was criticized pretty hard in that role. Yeah, that's a really good point. Let's talk about your podcast for a few, okay? What made you decide to do What's Next with Eric Wood? What was the inspiration for you starting that podcast? And we'll talk about the theme of it in a minute as well. Yeah, I've always loved podcasts, and I've always been into them. So doing my own has always been kind of on my radar. I just didn't know exactly the niche I wanted to to do, and then... The title, What's Next with Eric Wood, comes from me basically being like, I don't know what's next for me, essentially, but come with me as I transition into a different career and try and learn from people who have transitioned within their careers or are in a time of transition themselves. So, for instance, our first episode was Richie Incognito, and you know he had just set out a year out of the NFL, too, and we talked about how tough it was the challenges of not having a schedule for the first time in your life and not training for something specific for the first time in a long, long time. So um, that was a really good one. My next guest was Michael Ray, who is up for newcomer of the year in country music at the ACMs next weekend, which me and my wife will be in town for out in Vegas. We're going to go support him and his fiance, Carly Pierce. They're both up for ACM. So that was my next guest. And his story's just phenomenal. And, um, I know Buffalo isn't the biggest country music town, but it's growing. I've been to take sure. the country many times up there, and it is growing, the popularity. And I, I always tell people up in Buffalo, I say, country now is what classic rock was. You're talking about, you, you, get, you look on stage, and it's got every instrument. you got electric guitars and drums and all the stuff that, you know, people in Buffalo, I'm sure at one point, were critical of country music. Now we got all those instruments and everything. So uh, Michael Ray was phenomenal. And next week's guest will be a very popular Bills, former Bills player. I'll tease that out now. One of my favorite teammates ever and was lucky to get him on the show. Nice. So we've talked on the air. We've talked off the air. I had a, I knew that you were going to be doing a podcast. I didn't know exactly when you were going to be doing it or what exactly the premise was going to be, but I knew it was coming down the chute and eventually when you premiered your podcast, I don't remember if it was you or maybe someone else that first had tweeted it out. 
I was going on and I'm looking around and like two or three days later, I go on iTunes charts or Apple podcast charts, whatever you call them. I always pay really close attention to that shit, trying to see when or if my show is going to be on there. Anyway, I look and I'm like, holy shit, man. Eric Woods podcast is in the top 15 in the sports and rec uh, podcast on iTunes already. It's only been out for two or three days. You got all those brand new subscribers right off the top, which made your your podcast soar right away. Were you a little bit surprised by, I mean, don't get me wrong. Listen, I know fans, especially Buffalo Bills fans. I could have told you it's not surprising that they would want to listen to what you had to say into your podcast. But were you a little bit surprised, if not blown away by how good the early reception has been for your podcast? Yeah, I was I was kind of floored by that, and Richie is off social media right now, um, and so he didn't even push it out to all of his followers. Right, and so that scared me a little bit to see what type of reception because it was it was mainly just me and guys like yourself who I've been friendly with in the media and pushed it out there, and and I was floored by it. And man, the reception I've gotten from people from man, Richie sounds incredible. I'm so happy he's doing good to you sound great on your podcast, you know, big fan, whatever to man. I learned a lot from that. Hey, you wouldn't believe this transition I'm going through now in my life. And to hear you say, you said that you struggle with anxiety because of it gave me some peace knowing that an NFL football player also struggles with transition in life, whether it's career relationship, whatever it may be. So it's been awesome. We're, we're only releasing them every two weeks right now. I may jump that to every week just because the reception's been so good. But um, at some point, I'm going to start working, hopefully, and then it'll be a lot harder to produce them weekly. But, yeah, we, we released the first one with no sponsors with hopes to get maybe three in the first three months and then just see where it goes and kind of gauge it from there price-wise and everything. And by the time our second episode with Michael Ray went out, all of our sponsorships sold out. So it's been pretty cool. And it's not – this isn't a get rich scheme for me through the podcast. I just didn't want to be pouring a bunch of money into it because I am paying a producer. I had to buy the equipment and all that. Sure. And that adds up too. How comfortable are you holding a microphone and having a conversation with someone? Obviously it's quite different than being out there playing football in front of 50, 60,000 people or more. Just that intimate one-on-one setting where you're standing next to someone or sitting next to somebody, having a microphone and you feel natural. It seems like something that you're very comfortable doing. I appreciate you saying that. You know, I was more comfortable than I thought I would be. And, and I go into the interview prepped. You know, I, I even have questions that I don't get to for my guests. But in case the guest isn't being super um, lengthy with his answers and we want to get to our 30 to 40 minute thought, you know, I'll, I'm prepped with enough questions. But um, another thing I like with it, and this week's will be my first one I didn't do in person. So we did. We recorded a Skype call, but we did the video with it, which obviously you won't see on the podcast. But for me, being able to pick up on people's facial expressions really helps me through an interview. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I want to see if I'm going down the right path. And and if I'm not, I'm getting off it quick. And if as I'm talking, he's nodding his head, okay, well, maybe I'll get him to elaborate on this. So that's been helpful. I think it'd be a lot tougher to do if it was just purely a phone conversation, though, with guys. It is. It, it can be tough doing it that way. And I agree with you. Whenever I get the opportunity to do, I mean, I'm in Florida right now, so the majority of my guests are via phone call or Skype. But whenever I get the chance, I always want to do Skype and preferably video as well, because 
you said it perfect. When you could see somebody's expressions, it's kind of, it's a little easier to have that rapport with them and you get to get a better flow. Whereas if you're on a phone with somebody, they stop, you don't know when they're going to, you know, like if I'm talking to you, I don't know when your answer is ending and if I should have a follow-up or move on to the next topic, but you kind of get that vibe, that feel if you're next to somebody or if you're at least, you know, able to see their expressions on Skype. It's definitely a process though. Can you tell as you're doing it that you feel yourself getting a little more comfortable and a little better each time, but yet I'm sure you still feel like you got things to learn as well? Yeah, for sure. And I definitely have stuff I can clean up and I'm sure my producer uh, edits out more ums and you knows than he would like to at this point, but hopefully I'll just keep improving on that. And speaking of doing them in person, assuming we run into each other in Buffalo at some point, we need to knock out like a bunch of wing spots and we can do to do it on my podcast or yours. But oh, yeah. um, I enjoy your wing ratings and I think it'd be fun if we went back to some of those spots together and kind of spitballed why our rankings might be off in some certain spots because you had a couple of my spots graded a little lower than I would have expected. And you had a ton of spots that I'd never been to. Yeah, I've, I'll tell you what, man. You don't got to ask me twice to do that. I'm always down to go eat wings and, and shoot the shit a little bit for sure. As we start to wind down here, I do want to talk about the Buffalo Bills offensive line. I can't think of anyone who would be more qualified to talk on that than you. Anyone with a set of eyes could see that last year the team missed you and, and Richie as well. I know you're, you know, you're not going to say it, so I'm going to say it. The offensive line was a disaster last year. The organization realized that, obviously. They made addressing that priority number one in free agency. They signed Spencer Long, Ty Nasecki, Adrian Waddell, John Feliciano, and of course, Mitch Morse, who will be the center. Let's start with the center. That's the anchor. Mitch Morse was the big signing. What's your take on him? You know, I think he's an excellent player, and, and he got paid like it, and good for him. You know, he seems like a guy based solely off of what he wore to his opening press conference up there, like a guy that's going to embrace the town, embrace the culture. And I'm excited they got him. A center, especially for a young quarterback, can be so valuable, an experienced center, I should say. And and I'm glad they got him up there. And then as you want to kind of re, you know, they are rebuilding the O-line. Having your center is just so vital. I've exchanged a couple text messages with him and, and look forward to meeting him in person. But I have a ton of respect for his game. And, and I like what the Bills did. And you're right. The Bills' offensive line play was not to standard last year. And I could give you a, I could make a bunch of excuses why. But at the end of the day, when you have a defense that played as well as they did, and you have your quarter, your hopefully franchise quarterback heading into year two, and you're going to add all these pieces. Well, you better get the offensive line where you want it. And Brandon Bean and, and staff are, are, are going after new bodies, competition. You know, if they add a couple of draft picks in there as well, then who knows if they, you know, add any late cuts or, or whatever it may be to that room. I mean, it is jobs up for grabs with a new O-line coach. The competition should bring out the best in everybody. You know, besides... You know, Dion's probably going to start somewhere along the O-line. Mitch Morse will start. I mean, there's no one else that they paid so much money to that they probably can't keep him in depth or get rid of him, you know? Sure. I mean, you got to figure if, if a team carries eight or nine guys on the line on the 53, they sign five. And let's just say that all five make the team. That's more. And this is before the draft. Who knows? They might get another guy or two in the draft or late in the preseason, like you said, 
that right there alone is half or more than half the offensive line that they're turning over. And the rest of these guys, not Mitch Morris, because he's going to be locked in the center, but Long, he could play guard or center. Niseki has played guard or tackle. Feliciano's played guard or center. You played guard at one time of your career. How important is it for that player to have position flexibility where somebody could play more than one position? You could play two or even three positions. How important is that, do you think? It's extremely important. I tell everybody, I, I used to train with the guys at University of Louisville when I would be in the offseason with the Bills prior to our spring ball. I would go train back with the guys in Louisville, and I said, I know you think you're a left tackle now at Louisville, but you better learn how to play guard. And if you're a guard, you better learn how to play center or try and learn all three positions because unless you are the guy, you are probably going to have to play multiple positions. And, and it's not an easy deal. I played, I started every game of my college career at center and then go to the Bills my rookie year and play guard. And that wasn't a super easy transition. Now I worked my tail off at it, and, and prior to breaking my leg, you know, I felt like I was playing some pretty good ball. But, man, it's it's not an easy transition, and, and those guys are going to have to take a lot of reps this spring if those guys are, are moving positions. But I, I, I do like that they added a ton of quality bodies, guys that have experience in this league. And, and look, nowadays it's, it's not realistic that you're going to get five first-round draft, former first-round draft picks, or current first-round draft picks, whatever it may be, cross your line and pay everybody. So it's not realistic. But I think the best offensive lines are the smartest, the hardest working, a good mix of veterans and young guys so that you can continue to have a good O-line over the years where your veterans move on and your young guys step into leadership roles. And then your draft picks, which coming from college nowadays, all the basketball and grass, they need some time to develop. So I like what the Bills did with adding a bunch of experienced bodies up there. I think offensive line this summer you said it. I, there's probably two out of the five spots I think are pretty much settled. We don't know for sure if Dawkins is going to play left tackle, but he's going to start somewhere in all likeliness anyway. But going into the summer, you got no less than three of those five spots that'll be up to grab. So that's definitely going to be one of the biggest storylines this offseason. If you could put on your GM hat for a minute as we wind down here, I don't want a player, but what position right now, if you're Brandon Bean, and you're looking at the roster as it's constructed right now, all the guys they've added, and you're going into the draft in a couple weeks, that first-round pick, maybe that second one too, again, not a player, but what position are you looking to address with those first one or two picks in the draft? You know, I think they did a good job of picking up enough guys in free agency that they don't have to select a certain position. Now, you know, if you've got a big-time D-tackle there with the loss of Kyle Williams, you can get you can get a di- disruptive D lineman in general in that top in that number nine spot. You probably take him. You know the Bills still need some help at a really athletic tight end would be great. Um, a true number one receiver, which I don't know if you can call a guy transitioning from college. You know a true surefire number one. But of course, you you look for a superstar out there if you you know, with your quarterback heading into a second year. But, you know, the best thing the Bills did in free agency was sign a bunch of guys where they, they aren't slotted into a specific player and they can truly go after best available. Okay. Last question. Then I'm going to let you go. Guys like Daryl Talley, okay, and, and Thurman and Kyle Williams, yourself, you're, you're true Buffalo guys. Don't mean that you have to live in Buffalo. Daryl lives in Florida down here with me. It doesn't matter where you live. You're still a Buffalo guy. You played there for a long time. You think very highly of the city. 
You're very much entrenched into that culture. How personal do you take it when someone like Antonio Brown basically shits on Buffalo, which happened a couple weeks ago, all the trade rumors that there was a deal that was close to him being done and he would be going to Buffalo. He refused to go there, which is one thing that happens, but he kind of dragged Buffalo through the mud in the entire process. When something like that happens and somebody, again, they kind of shit on Buffalo a little bit. Do you take that personal? Does that bother you? Uh, yeah, it does. You know, I woke up, I went to, I go to bed pretty early and I woke up the morning after all that kind of went down the very first night. Uh, I woke up and fired a couple tweets out immediately defending Josh Allen, defending the Bills organization, defending the city of Buffalo. And you know what the best part of all that was? The best part that came from all that is everyone from the GM to the head coach and everybody else got to go brag on Buffalo and the media bunch. And it made, and it made waves. And you know what? Throughout my career, people would be like, oh, man, you play in Buffalo. You know, guys from around the league. And then they would have a teammate or they would come into Buffalo themselves and, and join the team and, and say, man, this is truly a special place. It's unique playing up here. We love it here. And I always tell guys, I'm like, great, you, you play for the Miami Dolphins. When you're working in Miami, I am working in Buffalo. The second we're not working in Buffalo, I can be in Miami and enjoy the exact same benefits as you can. But you're bragging that you're that you're playing there. To me, I don't know. To me, that just kind of – and I always said, if you're enjoying the city you're playing in too much, you're not going to have a job very long anyway. Right. So it doesn't really matter. But um, you're right. I, I am a Buffalo guy. I love it up there. Looking forward to spending a lot of time up there over the years. You know, I, I just love the people up there and everything about it. So, um, yeah, I, I did take offense to it probably more than I should have. But, you know, it's just it's it, it's such a big part of my life. I spent nine years up there and um, and I'll defend it pretty hard. You definitely do. You're a Buffalo guy. No question about that. All right, everyone, give Eric a follow on Twitter at Ewood70. And if you have not done so already, go check out his What's Next with Eric Wood podcast. It's available wherever podcasts are heard. I'll also put a link in the show notes. Thanks a lot, Eric, man. I really appreciate your time. And by the way, we are so in for wings in a podcast this summer for sure. We'll make it work. Yeah, that'd be fun. I, um, the next time I'm going to be up in Buffalo, Jim Kelly's got his golf tournament. It's like that first weekend in June, last one. Yeah, first weekend in June, I'll be up there Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Usually a pretty packed schedule then, but um, I'll be up there for that. And then I might be up there a little bit more this fall than I was last year. So we'll see. Yeah, it will make it work for sure, man. Yeah. All right, that was Eric Wood. Coming up next on the podcast, I have a movie review. Not done by me because I think I would suck at doing that. I do have somebody who doesn't suck, Sean Chandler from the Sean Chandler Talks About YouTube channel. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you might recognize the name. He was on the show a couple weeks ago. We had a really good conversation Long story short, Sean went from taking his YouTube channel and putting out a couple of videos part-time every now and then to cranking it up to the point where he does it full-time. It's his job now. He does it full-time. does a tremendous job. He reviews movies literally as soon as they come out, as soon as they hit theaters, 
soon as they hit Netflix. Chances are, if a movie's been released sometime in the last few months, he's had a review of it on his page. He also does other stuff besides just movie reviews. He power ranks things like he has the 15 Marvel Comics movie directors power rank from Worst to First, the Matrix Trilogy, all kinds of stuff like that. Lots of cool things on his channel. Again, Sean Chandler talks about YouTube channel. Go check it out. Go subscribe. He's almost at 95,000 subscribers. He'll probably be there by the time you listen to this. We worked out a deal. And from time to time, when I think that he reviews a movie that my listeners will connect to or will be interested in hearing about, we're going to go ahead and we're going to publish the audio version. Obviously, this is a podcast, so I can't put the video out there, but I'm going to have the audio version of his movie review on. Today, he's reviewing Dumbo. Not the, not the classic movie from 1941, but the, the remake that's out in theaters now. And I'll tell you what, I mean, if nothing else, it's got a great cast. you got Colin Farrell, Danny DeVito, Michael Keaton, Alan Arkin, tons of great actors in there. But... Is this movie as good as you would think it would be considering an all-star cast? Lots of times you have a big ensemble cast and the movie ends up sucking. Is Dumble good? Does Dumble suck? What does Sean Chandler think? Only one way to find out. There it is. Dumbo is the latest live-action Disney remake to hit theaters. This time it's directed by Tim Burton. So let's talk about it. Dumbo is a retelling and expansion of the classic Disney film about an elephant with big ears who learns how to fly. With that said, let's get started talking about the good. And the best thing about this film is that it finds a way to expand the Dumbo story in a way that makes sense. The original film is only just a little bit over an hour long. So this isn't a shot-for-shot remake, kind of like Beauty and the Beast was. This is essentially the same story with the same themes, the same cute Dumbo, except they added in a human story inside of it, as well as functionally, this is a lot like a remake of Dumbo with a sequel added on, but it feels right. It makes sense and makes for a whole story. Populating the film is a great set of actors. They're just fun to see on screen. Most of them are given these very flamboyant, lively characters that they can have fun with. Danny DeVito being one of the standouts inside of the mix. As it is a Disney production, of course, it's very slick in the way that it's put together. It's very professional. You can see the budget on the screen. There also goes for a lot of very human emotions about bullying, family, a lot of things like that. And as the lead character is Dumbo, he is as cute as ever and seeing a photorealistic Dumbo trip on his ears and fly around is charming as ever. With that said, let's move on to the bad. But unfortunately, the entire film felt phony to me. From the overly processed look to the way the characters behaved inconsistently to the fabricated drama, everything about the film just felt like a screenwriter forcing a story and drama onto me. I don't know if this movie was shot on a green screen or on location because everything looks so overly processed and the colors are so vivid that it doesn't look real. Even when they are at an actual location in a field of grass with tents all around them, it doesn't look like a place that humans are actually at. And it's not that the shots look bad, but the colors are so rich and vibrant 
different that it's distracting to look at. Likewise, the children in the movie seem very reasonable, but all of the adults in the film are written very inconsistently. In one scene, they'll be very friendly, charming people. In the next scene, they're ignoring kids, they're ignoring warning signs, and doing things that are unbelievably irresponsible simply because the script demands it for us to have the next big set piece inside of the film. And closely tied to those character decisions, all of the drama feels forced. Three separate times in the film, Dumbo is put in a circus act prematurely. The audience knows this is a bad idea. The kids know this is a bad idea. And then they push Dumbo into these circumstances. And then the camera zooms in on someone's faces. And they're like, oh, Dumbo, you can do it. You can do it. And then things go badly. Three different times in the film, it repeats this exact same beat to try and create this scenario where Dumbo is an underdog and has to save himself in the last moment. To repeat such a specific plot beat three separate times in a film is just lazy writing and it highlights how poorly the adult characters are realized in this film as every single one of them seems to have this exact same fault. And finally, the film has really bad world building. What I mean by that, the rules of this universe are entirely unclear. At the beginning of the film, it feels like we're in a fairly grounded reality except for the fact that Dumbo has these gigantic ears that make it so he can fly. And that's why that's interesting. And that's why that's something miraculous is that it seems out of place inside of this world that we're in. But then as the film progresses, it seems like Dumbo can be reasoned with and kids can cut deals with him. That's not a reveal. That's not like people are talking to animals or anything like that. It's just kind of one of these things as the movie goes along, it's assumed, oh yeah, he can understand what the kids are saying. And then as you go into the second half of the film, you go from a fairly realistic, grounded traveling circus to this very futuristic theme park that looks like it's out of one of those Fleischer Superman cartoons from the 1940s where they have bubbles that can actually dance in the air. It's a movie with no clear rules as to what can and can't happen. And when you do that, suddenly an elephant flying isn't nearly as interesting because anything seems to be able to happen inside of this world if the screenwriter wants it to. While it's not a train wreck, it is a bland, hollow, generic adaptation of a Disney classic. I'm gonna give this one a C and a five out of 10 on the entertainment scale. I do not recommend it. Thank you so much for watching and keep talking movies too much. All right, thanks, Sean Chandler. And I am back now with Aaron Quinn from Cover One. We're gonna dive right into our Buffalo Bills four-round mock draft. We're going to do it live in real time. We're going to do it on the draftnetwork.com. If you're listening and you want to do your own mock draft, you could do it on that website. Really easy to do. The computer basically does all the work. And that's exactly what's going on here. The computer is going to simulate the other 31 teams. We're going to play Brandon Bean. We're going to make the Bills picks here. And we're not going to do a seven-round mock. You're good with a four-round mock draft, right? Oh, yeah. I do these. I probably do four or five mocks a day, so I'm ready. Do you really? See, I do them. Uh, if I do a mock draft, I said this on my podcast previously, I can't go higher than four. I If we're rounds one and two, I'm locked in. Rounds three, I start to lose it a little bit. Four as well. Anything beyond that, I'm just picking guys because I like the way their name sounds. Or they went to a yeah. cool school. I'm just completely guessing. <laughs> I do that sometimes. Once I get I can... I'm 
I'm good for about five rounds where I feel really comfortable past that. I mean, if the bills are picking, I say this all the time on our podcast, if the bills are taking 10 picks away, I don't, I think that's so highly improbable that they're just going to be having practice squad guys and guys in for tryouts in those last few picks anyway, because they, they have, there'll be too many people to fit on a roster. Yeah, I completely agree with you. So we're doing four and I'm going to hit start draft. The computer will pick everyone else. The first run, I'll tell you the first eight, because you're going to need to know those. After that, though, we'll just go at a position, and I'll tell you maybe the top one or two guys that they got available on the board. So let's hit start draft, and it goes. It starts simulating, and I'll read off the first eight for you how they go, okay? Kyler Murray going one. I guess it doesn't matter what team. All that matters are the eight players that go in front of you. But Kyler Murray goes one. DK Metcalf goes two to Frisco. That shit, that shit ain't happening. But we no. gotta play by the we gotta play by the hey, rules. You don't make the board. Exactly. We don't make the board. It only takes one crazy team to do something like that. But uh, whatever. DK two, Nick Bosa to three at the Jets. That would suck. I hate that. <laughs> yeah. Devin White goes four to the Raiders. Josh Allen goes fifth, the edge defender, not the quarterback, going to Tampa. At six, we got Juwan Taylor going to the New York Football Giants. Seven. Rashawn Gary, who, by the way, Mel Kuyper has picked in his latest mock draft. He's going to Jacksonville at seven. And then at eight, we got Montez Sweat going to the Detroit Lions. All right, dude, here we go, man. You didn't think of this was going to happen. I sure as shit did this not. Happens, this happens too much. I see, I've see. i seen it uh, on a bunch of people posting their own mock drafts or whatever platform it's on. If Quinn Williams is there at nine... They better be running that card up as fast as you possibly could pre-filled out. If he even is slipping past five, I'm considering trading up for this guy. If he's there, this is a no-brainer for me. I think he's the best player in the draft. So I think this is a no-brainer. It it absolutely is a no-brainer. And we're going to take him. Before I get to that, though, let's let's just pretend that the board was different. Let's pretend DK Metcalf did not go at two. Let's just say Quinton Williams went at two. You got DK Metcalf there. We're not, I don't think the Bills are taking him at nine. You got Ed Oliver. And also, let's say for a sake of discussion, because this is one of the few things, um, one of the few dilemmas I've had when I've been doing my mock drafts. A scenario where Ed Oliver would be on the board at nine and Montez Sweat, who's an edge defender from Mississippi State. Let's just say, for the sake of discussion, if both of them are on the board, are you all over Ed Oliver? Or are you considering Montez Sweat? Because the Bills have made it no secret that they've been looking at defensive ends as well. Yeah, I where my struggle has been has been Oliver Sweat and one of the tackles, either Juwan Taylor or uh, Jonah Williams being there. And I debate constantly about this and I've taken all of them in different aspects. If you had to really put the pressure on me in that scenario right now, today, talking to you here this long before the draft, I think I like Sweat a little bit better than Ed Oliver. And but it's close. I, I I could be very easily convinced to go the other way. Uh, but I I like the idea of getting a young edge rusher. Jerry Hughes isn't getting any younger. They really don't have anyone else. Shaq Lawson's going to be on his fifth year option after this. I, I, they just don't have anybody else at the defensive end. That's a young guy that's going to be on this roster after 2020. That's a problem. I completely agree with you. I just think it's a really interesting scenario that could play out. And one more thing before we ultimately, again, we're going to play by the rules. So we're taking Quinton Williams. But again, let's say he's gone. You're on the board and Sweat's gone too because he is gone in this scenario. Ed Oliver's your guy at nine. But Dwayne Haskins has not been picked. You might have a couple teams sitting behind you right now. You got Cincinnati at 11. You got Miami at 13. You got Washington at 15. Maybe the Giants who pick again at 17, their second pick of the first round. 
Maybe one of those teams want to come up and they want to go get Dwayne Haskins and they say Buffalo is a good spot to do it at nine. If you're the Bills, are you moving back or are you stuck on that Oliver? Are you married to him or would you be willing to move back down the board and get maybe TJ Hawkinson or Brian Burns or somebody like that? Yeah, so my draft value goes Quinn Williams, Nick Bosa, and trading back. So in that scenario, if one of those two guys isn't there, trading back to me is the best value still because I think that this play, this draft has such nice pieces in the late first, second, third round that I can get more better players, if that makes sense. Sure. So I, I do like Ed Oliver, and if he's there, I'm totally – I feel like in this podcast, I'm, it sounds like I'm anti-Ed Oliver. I'm not. Uh, but if there's a scenario where I can get a couple more, you know, draft assets capital, I'm all for that because I still have all those other picks. I can move back up into the third round later with some of those other picks, get real creative. And that gives Brandon Bean just too much flexibility. And if you're the rest of the league and Brandon Bean has that much flexibility, you should be scared. I agree. All right. So we got to play by the rules here. And Quinn and Williams just literally fell into our laps. We're taking him. There's not a, there's not a debate there. If he's on the board, they're taking him. So yeah. the clock's moving right now. We're in the 20s. We've taken a defensive tackle, Quinny Williams. He fell to us. Going to be on the clock again in a second here. Coming up on pick number 40. And I don't know how you feel about him now, but I know there was a time where you were huge on Irv Smith Jr. Mm. I'm seeing if he's on the board. He is on the board at 50. Are you looking tight end? Is that, a, is that probably your pick? You got him. You got Dalton Reisner if you want to go offensive tackle. Uh, we've already taken Quinn and Williams, so Jeffrey Simmons wouldn't be in play. You got a guard, Chris Lindstrom. Those are probably the best players there. I mean, if you're yeah. thinking another position, but Irv Smith at tight end, Dalton Risner at tackle. What are you thinking? So I love both. I love Lindstrom, uh, Dalton Reisner, and Irv Smith. Obviously, I have my own draft crush on. One thing that's been really struggling, that I've been really struggling with in some of these is Simmons sitting there because obviously Quinn and Williams hasn't fallen to me in every one of these. So I've taken another position there. Jeffrey Simmons is sitting here at the 40th pick. This would be a redshirt pick, right? He's not going to play this year. This is a guy that you're picking to play redshirt. I think if he wasn't hurt and didn't have any off-field problems, this is easily a guy that you take at nine. So taking him at 40 is a steal. You're stealing him from this draft. Obviously, people say this doesn't fit their process. I don't agree. He's He's been great since being at Mississippi State. He had one incident. Uh, they've said they are not looking for choir boys. They're looking for guys that are, the process means good football players and guys that are coming into play football and do their job so i've had a tough time passing on him in these situations but to your question i'm going to surprise the viewers because i love irv smith but i would pound the table here i think for chris lindstrom an interior offensive line they it's something they the part they haven't addressed outside of mitch morse i don't love the idea of spencer long and uh russell bodine and Feliciano, Feliciano. Right. all these guys don't do anything for me I, and so I would like to get a little bit more mean, meaty guys in the interior line. And I would have a tough time passing on Lindstrom. I, fi I think he fits exactly what they need. All right. So let's pull the trigger then. Chris Lindstrom, offensive guard from Boston College. He's the pick. That's round two. Now we're going to head towards round three. The Bills will be coming up on the clock. They have the 74th pick. We've went beef with the first two picks, defensive tackle and offensive guard. I'm going to be so mad when the Patriots draft Irv Smith after we passed on him. I'll lunch. have to look it up and see where he ends <laughs> up falling in this draft. Okay, so we are now on the clock. Pick 74, round three. See, this is, to be fair to you, it's kind of tough when you're not looking at the same board that I am. You know, a guy or two might stick sure. out. But we got wide receivers out there. 
We still haven't taken a tight end. Um, the best tight end out there on the on the board. And again, this is according to the draftnetwork.com. Very credible site, a lot of fun, but I mean, it's not obviously yep. not necessarily the Bible of draft boards by any means. But D- Dawson Knox is the top tight end available if you were looking at him. You got Terry McLaurin. He's a wide receiver from Ohio State. He's probably out there. If you're looking running back, Miles Sanders from Penn State, who could be an intriguing possibility. He's on the board. What are you thinking, Mel, in terms of position? Or uh, I, so if there's anyone in this draft that I have a crush on more than Irv Smith, it's Terry McLaurin. And I don't Eric keeps trying to convince me that the Bills free agency kind of knocked down my dream a little bit of him coming in. But where I argue him is that McLaurin is the kind of guy that's going to come in and be a special teams ace right away. He's going to contribute on special teams. He's a great gunner. And I think that he can come in and play any position across the uh, wide receiver room and that he's just a good guy that doesn't need the ball, but he can block. He can do all those things that you like. So I'd be high on going wide receiver here because I still think it is a need as far as youth goes. But I could easily be convinced just because, like Eric tells me, that fit might not be there as much with having Brown and Beasley there now. Um, so uh, who else is on the board, you said? The top edge guy is Jalen Ferguson from Louisiana Tech. Got uh-huh. Miles Sander, a running back. Amani Hooker, the safety from Iowa. He's up there. Dawson Knox, tight end. I mean, I would be, I think I would flip a coin, I guess, between maybe Sanders and and McLaurin without being able to look, you know, full at the board. I think either one of those guys fits needs that the team has. We still need a young running back, obviously, with Frank Orrin Shady having Ivory released. They need something. They're going to walk away from this draft or the running back. So some people think Sanders might be the best after Jacobs. I'm all for taking him. Or you got a guy like McLaurin that can make an impact in 2019. I think either one would be a great pick for him. I'm going to flip the coin for you right now. Awesome. And we got, I'm not actually flipping a coin. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> All right. Miles Sanders. Let's take him, man. The running back yeah. from Penn state. I'll tell you what though. I'm looking hey, at his, loves Penn state. I'm looking at his, the draft network profile of him. Best trait change of direction. I don't like this man. Worst trait decision making. Is he one of those dudes who you draft him and he's going to have a really shitty uh, awareness rating in Madden or something? He might. I don't know that decision making is his. It might be his worst trait. So the thing with this, though, is like uh, I did a couple of scouting reports as practice. And sometimes you have to find some of the things that even if a prospect's good, you have to find some negative things about him. So while they say worst is, is decision making, that might not mean that he's bad at it. It might just mean that that's his worst trait, that that's the one trait for them that stood out on film. But he might not be worse than other guys, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. All right, so we got two picks in the fourth round here as we wind this up. Pick 112 is coming up, and it's here now. I'll tell you, and I've done this mock draft many times, when you get to this fourth round, running backs and wide receivers, at least on this board at this point in the draft, are dominant. I mean, if there's 25 guys on this board, probably 20 of them are either running backs or, uh, or wide receivers right now. So we've taken a tackle, defensive tackle, we've taken an offensive guard, and we've taken a running back. Two of the first three picks, on the offensive side of the ball, wide receivers definitely in play. I'll tell you a position where I really wish, and this is where I start to not know enough about this draft to, to offer an informed opinion, but I can tell you positionally, I think linebacker would be a great pick in either round three or four if there's a guy out there that fits the Bills well because Lorenzo Alexander, this is very likely giving me his last year. You got two young guys. I would not at all mind 
a linebacker here, but Joe Giles Harris from Duke is the only one who's on this board anywhere. In terms of their value, anyway, would even be near it. Besides that, like I said, man, just a just a shitload of wide receivers and a couple safeties. What are you thinking here? Is uh, Mike Edwards from Kentucky available? He's a safety that uh, I really am high on. Eric brought his him to my attention. Uh, he met with the Bills for over an hour at the Senior Bowl, uh, which is a pretty impressive amount of time when you have that many prospects there. He's a guy from Kentucky. He plays there. a lot. He plays a lot like Jordan Poyer. He's there. That's uh, Eric another, did a bunch of stuff. Yeah. That's another position that could be sneaky. I mean, you got Raphael Bush there. You got uh, Marlowe there. There's not. There's good depth, but I don't know that there's anyone that's going to be the future at that position there in case we were to lose a Jordan Poyer or Micah Hyde. I think he would make a ton of sense if he's there. The Bills clearly have interest in him. He's a processy guy. Here's a tweet from Cover One from earlier. So, uh Earlier today, the Cleveland Browns released the safety and people were talking about him. And Eric's point, and we were talking about it in private, was I'd rather draft this kid than go get uh, some, you know, cast off from Cleveland. Team captain, never missed a game, played 51 con- games, 44 consecutive starts, second in team on tackles, second in uh, Kentucky history with tackles among DBs, 11 double digit tackle games, three time all SEC member. That sounds pretty processy to me. I would, I would think that's a sneaky pick in that area, even though, like you said, when I do mocks too, I'm getting it's coming up all running backs and wide receivers around this area. Well, I like Mike Edwards and I like the safety position. I think they could use a little quality depth there. So let's go with that. We'll take Mike Edwards and we're going to go on the clock with our last pick of this mock draft, which is, I believe, pick 131 in round four. All right. So we're up now. Is this a good spot for a wide receiver, do you think? Late in the fourth? So- I do think really I've been finding really nice. So this has been a problem with all the mock drafts I've done is I'll I'll be on the board at the last pick and I'll take a wide receiver and then I'll get to this pick and see that there's still the same roughly quality of wide receiver. So it's a fun experiment to do mock drafts because you're really going through that process, even though the boards might not fall the same way they do in real life. You really go through that process where when you get to that next pick, you're like, oh, shoot, I went too early. But if you keep skipping that position, you're going to get to a point where you don't have any guys you recognize at that position. You're like, oh, man, I should have taken it when I had the chance. Some guys that I keep seeing at this around this 131 pick that really intrigue me for wide receivers. I think it's it is a good spot. I always see Anthony Johnson, the UB yep. prospect that obviously local guys are going to know who that is and, and going to like that idea. David Sills from West Virginia. I think he's a really polished guy. He's there. That would be in, yeah. Henner Run Renfro is another guy that's usually there that I really like. Um, a running back that is usually around that area. If we hadn't already taken one, uh, Divine Azabago, I think is how you say. It. I'll butcher his name, but he's a Nebraska running back. Big body type guy, grounds out extra yards. Yeah, uh, really nice running back. So there's definitely a lot of guys here for the Bills. They're all there. Everyone you said is there. Everyone is. All right. You know what? Just for the sake of the local fans loving me a little bit, I would say go with Anthony Johnson. I'll tell you, we're going to take him. If they're going to take a wide receiver anywhere in the first two to four rounds, I like taking a bigger guy because they have four smallish guys right now, and he brings something different to that wide receiver room. Sure. He's got the talent. What do we got here? We got Quinnen Williams, Chris Lindstrom. Miles Sanders, a running back, Mike Edwards, a safety, and Anthony Johnson from UB. Dude, I like that. I just cannot imagine, for the life of me, a scenario where Quentin Williams falls to all the way down to number nine. 
That would just absolutely blow my mind. One of the CBS mocks, I think today, had it with Quinn, <laughs> Quinn Williams falling to the Bills, and I almost just, I just felt blood rushing from my head. Uh, I, I don't believe it. I don't think that uh, that is a scenario that'll happen. Uh, but I would, I would love it. But I think that they'll be fine if they end up stuck at nine and Ed Oliver is there, whoever is there. I would be not just as happy, but I'd be pretty content. By the way, Irv Smith ended up going three picks after to the Detroit Lions at forty-three. That's better. That makes me feel all right. I I know some good Lions fans. I don't care what other team he's on, as long as it's not freaking New England Patriots. Oh my god! Seriously, (laughs) you're gonna Uh, have to you're gonna have to post that mock, man, because we've been doing mock drafts on every episode lately, Greg and I, and uh, it's great the response we get killed a lot of the time. But but then some people agree, so you're definitely gonna have to post that. I can't wait to get killed uh, for some of our picks. Let's do it. All right, I'm I'm in. I'm gonna put it in the show notes for sure. Before we get out of here, I want to fly through the Moranalytics podcast interest meter, which, by the way, I got to come up with a better name. That name fucking sucks. I can't Uh, stand it. But the concept is pretty cool. I'm going to run down a topic. It might be sports. It might not be sports. And I just want to get, as always, a score from you anywhere from 1 to 10. If you want to use fractions, that's cool. Give me a score and let your interest in it and maybe a quick take. Ready? Let's get going. Let's do it. All right. Sabres plummet in unbelievable fashion. I'm not going to bother running off the stats because they're just, honestly, they're fucking so depressing. I can't do it. It's pathetic. Uh, a three and a half. I do graphics for Die by the Blade, the Sports Nation, or uh, yeah, Die, Die by the Blade, and so I have to stay somewhat tuned into the Sabers. And I feel so bad for all the people that have to cover this team and deal with the comments and the questions. It's pathetic. Every single year in the summer, Sabres fans come all over my mentions and say, oh, the Bills suck. The Sabres are going to be so much better than the Bills are in such a better position. And every year they're worse and not a little bit worse. They're substantially worse. Like if the Bills were this bad, I would be so embarrassed and couldn't wait for the season to end. It's pathetic right now. Let me tell you something. This is the God's honest truth, Aaron. I'm in my late 40s, dude. Okay, I have been a Buffalo sports fan Pretty much since I can remember them along with the Yankees, they've always been my teams. All my life, all the teams that I've ever rooted for, I have never, and I mean ever, disliked a team more than I like the 2000, or dislike, I should say, the 2018-19 Buffalo Sabres. This is the least likable team in the history of me rooting for sports. Not oh. be, be, They're that bad. It's not that they're terrible. On the, It's that they've laid over... They lay down, they're rolling over, and they're fucking dying. They're just rolling over, and I can't deal with that. At least back in the, not even back in the day, up until about a year or so ago, ago, they were tanking. They were intentionally losing. This team's not supposed to be tanking. I don't, uh, listen, I got to get off them. This happens every freaking week, no matter who I'm talking to. I say I'm just going to glance over to Sabres and move on to keep my sanity. I start talking about them, and I get freaking pissed off every single week. It never fails. I don't blame you. I feel terrible. Like I said, for the people that cover the team, I have friends that have good amount of money invested in season tickets oh. really thinking that the next year is going to be the year. And those poor bastards have to slug through 40 something games of this crap. And I feel so bad for them. There was that brief moment of 10 games of excitement. And since then, it's just been a total turd nugget dropped on them. <laughs> I, I just feel terrible right now, man. I just, I, I can't, I got to move on. Gerald McCoy. I mentioned him earlier in the show. Not at Tampa Bay Bucks voluntary offseason program. 
there's a good chance the Bucks are trading him soon or during the draft. I know you still have your hopes and dreams that he may end up in a Buffalo Bills uniform. I yeah, that's a seven and a half for me right now because I'm trying to temper my expectations that he would ever possibly be a Bills player. But that we talked about a lot. Defensive tackles, a huge need. If you could get a guy like that, I think that would be fantastic. I, I would love him in Buffalo. Don't see it happening, but I'm every time I see one of those tweets come out or like today with him not showing up, I do get a little bit more excited uh, each time. Another guy that didn't report that I'm even more excited about, Duke Johnson. Yeah. Also requested a trade. I think he'd be a fantastic fit here. I'm all about them trying to trade for Duke Johnson. So uh, I love those little tweets that come out this time of year of who Who's, who's around and who's not. Second last one here. Fox Sports Twitter has a fan poll. They've been doing it for a couple of weeks now. Who has the best fans in the NFL? Usually I think that shit's corny and I don't pay much attention to it, but whatever. Anyway, they're down to the final four. They got Buffalo taking on Tennessee right now. And again, this is a poll. Who has the best fans in the NFL? Clearly a Twitter popularity poll. But anyway, Buffalo is putting it on Tennessee, dude. They're dominating them it's like two to it's like 66 percent right now bills fans winning so bring on chicago or cleveland because that's the other semi-final matchup yeah this is i'll say it's a six for me and that's only bumped up here this week a little bit i hate these polls i get tagged in them all the time and people start blasting it's like spam yep. and it's they the ask you to retweet day. they ask you to retweet oh, out yeah that's God. annoying i don't have the time people I, not that i don't have the time i don't care uh it, it's a poll if they lose it doesn't if, impact me in any way it's cool if they win the only reason i'm a little bit excited my brother's a huge bears fan i would love to see the bills bears go head to head uh just to have a little bit of stuff to talk about with him um but i can't wait for these polls to stop this is peak off season of getting excited over these polls and i'll say something too the bills won by less than one percent against the saints no poll in the whole world of polling has a margin of error that accounts for less than one percent so i don't chalk that saints up got screwed That's again a, yeah, that's a yeah, they did get screwed again. That's a participation trophy. And I don't accept that that's a big win for the Bills fan base. I'm a little bit disappointed that it was less than one percent. That that's not a, <laughs> a win in my book. I hear you. All right, last topic here. Tom Brady's corny ass got a Twitter account. He debuted it today, tonight as we taped this as April Fools on Monday. It was a joke that he's retiring because again, it's April Fools. Whatever, man. That was stupid. But I'll tell you what. I'm going to look it up right now as we're taping this Monday night. He got fucking 228,000 Twitter followers in not even a day, not even 12 hours, almost 200,000 Twitter followers in not even a day. Dude, I've been on Twitter for almost a decade tweeting on a daily basis and I'm barely sniffing fucking 4K right now. Dude's got 228,000 followers already. Uh, fuck Tom Brady. Yeah. I mean, this guy, he's got it all. And I hate him for it. I hate everything about it. I'm in the same position, man. I have 32,000 tweets. I've been on here since 2011, tweeting my ass off, trying to get a following. I'm not even close to you. I'm half the followers that you have. And this guy gets on for a day and tweets once and freaking blows up Twitter. And screw him. I hate April Fool's in general, just oh, yeah. because the internet's already full of it. And then this guy gets on and tries to piss on my day. Screw you, Tom Brady. Uh, I hope that you sleep really well next to your supermodel wife tonight, but I hate you. Do we take like a 45 minute segment between the beginning and end of this podcast? And we could have just said, fuck Tom Brady made this about a three second podcast. Probably would have got ourselves over 
with the fans even more than that. By the way, you said April Fool's Day. Did you fall for anything today? Nothing today. I was on high alert. I even if there was a, a legitimate story, I was not even freaking close to buying it. I I, I fell for something. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you. I <laughs> somebody it wasn't on Twitter. It was on Facebook. There was a uh, somebody posted an L.A. Times article that said Greg Daniels, who's the executive director of the office, um, revealed in an interview who the actual Scranton straggler was. So I, like an idiot, I clicked the link right away. I got Rick rolled (laughs) right away. That's like, that was like custom made for you to click though. I feel, I feel a little bit bad. I feel like you got baited. There's a group of people and you were a prime target for that to get baited. I had one experience. I, I, so I have a toddler and a, a five month old and I, the toddler asked me for a milk and I was making formula for the, the, the infant. And I gave the infant a little bit of milk and I'm on the phone with my wife, my, my head's all scrambled. You're not supposed to give babies milk. So don't call anybody on me. Uh, but, uh, and so I'm telling my wife, I'm like, Oh shit, just gave the baby milk. She's like, okay, good one. April fools. I'm like, no, I swear to God. She's like, no, seriously, you're just fooling with me. It's April fools. We went on for like five minutes. She didn't believe me at all. And I was like, I swear to God, I just gave the baby milk. I don't know. So that was my only April Fool's experience. I wasn't even trying. I, I'll tell you, I'm guarded too. I'm surprised I fell for that, but I'm guarded like Giancarlo Stanton and Miguel Andahar, two Yankee players, went on the injured list today. I had to check like eight different sites yeah. to make sure it was some kind of fucking bullshit April Fool's Day. Hey, well, even I, uh, Cabot, who's a huge uh, Mary Cabot, is a, like a big time legitimate Cleveland She's been Brown. on the show. Yeah, she's done the show. Yep. She's a fantastic reporter and yeah. she put out that Duke Johnson wanted a trade and I had to like go through all the links, click all the links. Cause I was like, no, this is ridiculous. I hate April fools, uh, but she wasn't fooling us. He really did ask for a trade. Multiple guys reported, but this is what I hate about this day on the internet. Although somebody had one good tweet about it said, this is the one day where people actually try to verify information on the internet. So I guess there is uh, <laughs> something good about it. <laughs> That's completely true. All right, man, Aaron Quinn, follow him on Twitter at Aaron Quinn, seven, one, six, check out cover one, sign up for the premium content. I will put a link in the show notes. It's a good deal. My man. Thanks dude. We'll talk soon. Hey, thank you, dude. All right. That will do it for this episode. Big thank you again, Eric Wood. Second time on this podcast. I apologize for not having the greatest audio interview there. That's 100% on me. I just couldn't get a great connection when we hooked up. But you know what? Who gives a shit? It was a good interview. And I'll tell you what, if you haven't done so already, make sure you go check out his podcast, What's Next with Eric Wood. It's a really good show. And it's something different because he talks about transitioning into your next phase of life. He has guests on who do the same. So not only do you get good conversation and entertainment value out of his podcast, but you also learn some things along the way too. So highly recommended. I will drop a link in the show notes on that. Also, I'd like to thank Sean Chandler from the Sean Chandler Talks About YouTube channel. Dropped another movie review. This time it was Dumbo. Go check it out if you haven't already. Let Sean know if you agree or disagree with what he thinks. Again, go to his YouTube channel, which is Sean Chandler Talks About. Subscribe. He's got almost 95,000 subscribers on that channel, by the way. Good reason, too. Daily content, really good stuff. Go subscribe there. I will also drop a link in the show notes. Last but not least, I definitely want to thank my man Aaron Quinn from Cover One. 
Love having him on the podcast whenever I get a chance. Very knowledgeable dude. We have a good rapport, I think, anyway. Nice flow, nice chat. Really knowledgeable guy, especially when it comes to the Buffalo Bills. He blows me away when it comes to the draft and other things like that. So whenever I get an opportunity to have him on, I always take advantage of that. Thanks a lot, Aaron. If you are living under a rock and have not yet subscribed, or if you have not yet subscribed because you're a mean person and you just don't like me, now, ladies and gentlemen, is the opportunity for you to redeem yourself. I invite you to subscribe to this podcast. It's quick. It's easy. It's free. You subscribe and bam, new episodes automatically get sent directly to your iPhone or to your Android, your computer, your laptop, your desktop, your iPad, whatever the hell it is that you're using these days, literally within just seconds of being released. And I mean that, within just seconds, you'll get that episode sent directly to you. I have a new show every Tuesday and Friday. Also, don't forget to rate and review. Again, I said it at the top, that really helps me grow this podcast tremendously. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, blah, 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 blah. I could go on for days. Pretty much it's available anywhere that future award-winning podcasts are found. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pamoran Tweets. If you want to hit the like on the Moranalytics Podcast Facebook page, I'm not going to be mad at you for that either. Most importantly, as always, thank you again for listening. I truly appreciate each and every single one of you. I'll be back with a new episode on Friday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.